Uh, Michael X, how many have read the 57th chapter? But in the 57th chapter, the first two verses, the first two verses, 57th chapter of Isaiah, and we're talking about a removal of some good and righteous people from the earth. Uh, over the past few years, we've, we've members that was a part of the church, a part of, you know, being visited here. My, two of my brothers are gone, Brother Dent, Brother Luther, and here lately, Sister Harris. I don't know if I'm missing any right now. Uh, I hope that was inclusive of the last maybe five to ten years. But uh, the pandemic, a lot of people was lost during the time of the pandemic. And I don't know, Def is, we didn't normalize, we've been desensitized and as I was telling you about the war in Ukraine and I asked how many have been following the Palestinian-Gaza war and it was reading about Pakistan today. Pakistan is one of the largest nuclear-armed Islamic states we have and they're telling Israel they need to draw back and, and ease up on Gaza some and that's the worry that we may be on the brink of World War Three. We may be on the brink of uh, Iran and Pakistan and maybe India engaging in this war, this conflict that's going on in in uh, Gaza. And we can't say very much because I don't know how, like I said, I don't know how much of the news you're watching. There's splits here in society. And my son had came by yesterday and he was talking about how much of local news are you keeping up with. And a lot of the editorials and the people in the local papers are talking about, and a lot of them are Jewish people. And they're saying that there were other wars and other terrorist acts that happened to Israel, and the prime ministers and people at that time attacked with precision, and they didn't go in and destroying everybody in cities. Mass wholesale, mass murder, you know, and it's mass murdering what's going on now seeking the removal of some. Jesus didn't remove Satan when he came or whatever. We're not in the process and it's not our job to root out evil in the world. That's God's job. We can't uh, bring about a new world. God brings about a new world. And it says in the book of Isaiah 57 chapter and the first to the second verse, the righteous perish it. In other words, die. They are dying, natural deaths, all types of death. But in other words, sleep and death, when they say perish, it means dying physically. And that's a spiritual death necessary because we talked about that earlier about being asleep. We talked about the euphemism for resting and spiritual sleep. Not the sleep or the slumber given to the false prophets and the false teachers. But that's why, as I, on the way here today, I noticed that there were three or four churches that had nice sized crowds today. Those are the ones, hopefully, across the world, people are wising up, and it's not just football. It, the, the club was full, also, club rags or whatever. It, it had a larger crowd than the rest of them did. But Anyhow, people are studying. Those churches had a lot of people that didn't care about the doubleheaders or what was going on in football or whatever because 
the ones that are being becoming sighted, and we talked about being able to see and understand that something's going wrong, something's different. And you hear a lot of people talking about, well, if they'd have been back in the times of Noah and they'd have seen the animals going lining up, going on the up on the ark two by two, that they would have realized it, that they would have listened that no, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't have. Because didn't Jesus say that these days was going to be the same as the time of Noah? Yes. That people was going to be eating and drinking until just like with Noah, that Noah opened, boarded the ark and God closed the door? Yes. Because they were blinded just as we are blinded today. They had entertainment. They had a society and just like the society is going on today. How many of you read in the newspaper about how how Christianity is kind of disbanding and the you know the Gallup poll, the Pew polls, the people that run these polls that that I didn't forget is it the Pew poll that's a religious poll or whatever? But these organizations showing a fall in the number of people that believe in the institution of the church. Ask the people that are your age or whatever, how many of them's children or how many of you children, that, and that's in their 30s or 40s or whatever, right, that are in churches. How many of the young people really believe in churches and Christianity? How many people believe in Satan, the devil, and evil, and, and that God is actually coming back, that Jesus Christ is actually coming they may believe in a form of religion, a form of godliness, but in their lifestyle and practicality, they deny it. So just as the time of Noah, they were blinded to not see that something's going on. That's the one ones that this is coming up on suddenly. Uh, we were talking about the election and that Louisiana's lost. I think it's completely lost. We won't, we'll have a catastrophic thing happening, we'll see more oppression and more persecution and more ungodly things because that which looks like Christ, which is antichrist, it doesn't mean Christ itself. When we say antichrist, that doesn't mean against Christ. I mean, that doesn't mean someone opposing Christ. That means Satan comes in in the place of Christ, this other Jesus. A Christianity that's mild and meek. It's more dangerous one that don't seem evil than one that do seem evil. If you see a a bottle with X's on it, X's and skulls and things, you're not going to drink out of it. You wouldn't give it to anyone. But if you've seen something with a picture of a watermelon, a chicken, a a nice-sized burger, or something appetizing, you would maybe eat of it or take it. That's why they show the thing on TV or whatever that looks good because you desire that which is good. So the people that are in churches, and that's why Jesus came, talked about the seven churches the way he did because that's more dangerous is the ones that's within the church. The danger is the one that's in your home when your enemies are within your own household. When those are your friends, Jesus said that he had chosen one and one was a devil. That's more dangerous when somebody that's going to betray you is the ones that's closest to you. A parent doesn't feel any kind of betrayal worse than 
when a child betrays it. I was talking about this young man that, well, let me not go too far off on a tangent, but the woman that bare him or whatever, his mother in the last days of his life, coming up to that that year or two, he hadn't seen her in years or whatever. He would pass right by the house where she stayed at and wouldn't stop or wouldn't speak to her, didn't have a relationship with her. We never know the time of death. We know, never know it. And as you get older, sometimes we, we know sometimes we have to die in certain ways. But when young people die, how many people are just going to work the other Monday morning to New Orleans back and forth and that fog caused a cataclysmic 150-car pile up into, you know, I read, and I don't I want to go too much in the secular thing, but if you read the paper and heard some of the stories of the heroic efforts that took place in that collision where some people were stopping, but here 18 wheelers and trucks barreling into the back of them, not watching, watching what they're doing because people nowadays, they just drive. They just drive. They're, they're not cognizant of what's around them or whatever. You could be broken down in the middle of the highway and they just blowing and trying to run you over almost. Well, I wouldn't just have my car stopped in the middle of the road if I didn't have to. <laughs> but we're not aware of this. And it says, and lo, the righteous perish, and no man layeth it to heart. And merciful men are taken away, none considering that the righteous are take, is taken away from the evil to come. That's as I was telling you about Enoch. God translated him. He took him away from the evil. And we see that God scatters his people. Sometimes when people leave home, or God had the scattering of Jerusalem. He scattered the people, the Jerusalem scattered. You, you remember the apostles were scattered after Je- Jesus' death, and he told the apostles and things to flee. He says, those that's in the fields, flee, don't come back, because the of the persecution that the Romans was going to come in and destroy them. Well, if we see in the book of Daniel in the last days that God could turn the world, turn things over to the Antichrists to the wicked and evil to persecute the righteous people. And that's why I say a many are righteous are going to die, and this is part of what that prophecy is about. <clears throat> but only the strong, those that's going to be a light, those that's going to be vital to the war, not that these aren't important and precious in God's eyesight, because Psalms uh, 116 and 15 says, Precious is the sight in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Amplified says, Precious and of great consequences in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. So he watches over them. He loves one, uh, the living says, He loves one, his loved ones are very precious to him and he does not lightly let them die. So God has and knows each one of our times of death. And Jesus says the power of life and death has been given unto him. So if something happens to you, we don't fear death. He's taken away the fear of death and the sting of the grave. He's taken all of that away to his saints. That's why I told you if you was around Sister Harris during the time it was coming close to her departure, she could have given you some spiritual religious strength. But there are some people who are so afraid of dying or so afraid of the end, 
But he has all this design. You remember Anna who was in the temple, and I tell you, and she was very old, and then when she seen Jesus, she was relieved, and she had felt she had ran her course. Simeon, that he was told by the Spirit that he wouldn't see death until he seen the Savior of the Deliverer come. And when he saw Jesus, when Mary brought Jesus to the temple, God coincided this is with the more you be at the temple of God, the more you may see Jesus. Just think, when Mary did come, the day and time that she could come, of all the days to come and the times to come, she met Simeon, and Simeon seen the Lord. After he seen the Lord, he said, this is enough. He sees the salvation of Israel. He said, it's going to be a sword to the piercing of a heart. But then he was ready to die. He was ready because he had lived his life. We see Barzilla, the, the guy that crossed the Jordan, crossed the river in David's time of his fleeing away from Absalom, that David told him to go back, to come back with him after he captured the kingship and he would take care of him. And he says, no, I'm an old man. I would be in the way and I can't taste, you know, and you know, food and appetite. And it's like that. As you get older, as I was telling you, we have enough food, you know. I would... We don't, I don't eat a whole lot. My appetite, I don't know if I've eaten anything today yet or not. See, some mornings or some days you eat, some days you even forget to eat. That's what happens with a lot of people. They forget to eat as they get old because your desires and your appetite, God takes something, ceases with that appetite and the different things. So all of these things, it says... Considering that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come, he shall enter into peace. They shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. And that's why I say, when it's time for me to go, it's time for me to go. I, don't hold me on in a vegetative state. And someone having to spoon feed me, I'm laying flat on my back. and I, 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 Someone's got to have nursing me round the clock or whatever. I can't get up to go to the restroom. My mother lived a wonderful life. She was out garage sale shopping one Saturday, and that Sunday night is when she had a heart attack, a heart episode, and she passed. Her mother, in the same way, was getting around or whatever, and that Saturday afternoon, the saints of God sometimes allows us to leave out. I was telling Mr. Luther about him being able to take care of himself and cook and all that, and then his daughter had asked her, him to come live with her a while or whatever. And Mr. Luther said, Pastor, he said, you know, but Jackson, I just won't, I don't feel like I ever be coming back here or whatever again. Or whatever. He felt something. He, he talked with me. We sat down and talked that weekend. He was gone. The saints of God is prepared and ready for death. I went by Brother Dent's. He was in the nursing home or whatever, and I brought him. You know, we used to love to go to get us some catfish or crawfish. He loved it, the crawfish or whatever. When we go to the seafood place, take turns and eat or whatever. And I brought two seafood plates that brought, he said, I knew you would come or whatever. And we were sitting down there eating and everything and talking or whatever. And that Monday he passed. But it's something about accepting death and not wrestling with it that the saints are reserved to. But are we taking this to heart as to why it's happening? What's happening? Is something strange going on? Is God opening up our understanding of our blindness during those times? 
the death of the righteous. It, it is greatly desired to die death like the righteous dies. But to die the death of the righteous, you must live righteously. Here's words from one of the great all-time people in the Bible that God spoke to or whatever, but he was really a corrupt prophet, and it's kind of, uh, people think, what is Balaam, you know? What about Balaam? Balaam was the one that told the Moabites and Balak how to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. He tried to curse them. God wouldn't let them curse them. But when it came time for Balaam to go, he died in one of Moses and them unslow of destroying the people. But in the book of Numbers, this is what Balaam speaks of. In the 23rd chapter of Balaam, in the 10th verse, he says, Who can count the dust, that is, the descendants of Jacob, and the number of even the fourth part of Israel? They're so massive. They're so many people. He says, Let me die the death of the righteous, those who are upright and right standing with God. In other words, let me die that type death. And let my end be like his end. No, that ain't the way you live. Why do you think you could die that way? That's why a lot of people come in the church or whatever and want to die in the Lord or want to die in the church or whatever. But how have you lived? Have you lived for God? And it says, who, who, he who saves his life shall lose his life. Whoever loses his life for my sake shall gain this life. So have you lived for God? Is your life filled with righteousness? And searching God's words, find out how can we live a life of practical righteousness in God? And that is we have to have his imputed righteousness and that requires being born again. He justifies us and gives us of his righteousness and we build on that. That character is built on that. Fearless, the, the, the righteous in God are fearless, face and death, as I just told you that prologue, that long introduction to the teaching today about the saints of God not fearing death. Psalm 23 and 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, it comforted me. So the saints of God are not fearful and deaf or whatever. We see that being with God is the ultimate end. And there are some people, and I can't judge, because it's not a biblical thing about people committing self-murder and suicide. It's not as Catholic and some people say these things. We know Samson committed suicide. He pushed them building down on himself. We know they say Saul committed suicide when Amalek was about to attack him and everything. He didn't want to be tortured or whatever and say he fell up on his own sword. Maybe where that saying comes from, falling on your own sword. But anyhow, the saints of God are hopeful in death. The book of Proverbs, the 40. 14th chapter and the 32nd verse says, The wicked it is overthrown by his or through his wrongdoing, but the righteous has hope and confidence and a refuge with God even in death. They know that they have a place. That's why it says, Let not your heart be troubled. They think about going home to be with the Lord. It's far better than being 
what we're in now, where we are now. So we can live a triumphant life that the saints of God live triumphant lives when they're born again. That's why I say we should be a jovial person, jovial people. We should have joy. We should have something that should be looking contagious to uh, to others, but we know you can't catch holiness. Holiness is not something you could pass on to others. You must be born again. Luke, the 16th chapter, and the 22nd verse says, Now it happened that the poor man died, and his spirit was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, that is, paradise. And the rich man died and was buried. That seems like a tragic end. You know, a lot of times they don't tell you about the deaths of a lot of people in the Bible, but they tell you about the deaths of most, a lot of the heroes in the Bible of God's people. But look here, it's talking about the death of this beggar, Dives, or what his name, that sat at the table of this rich man. And it says that he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, that is, paradise. Living version says, finally, the beggar died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham in the place of the righteous dead. But the rich man also died and was buried. It seemed like, you know, when you're just dead, you go return to dust, you die from ashes, you come and dust, you return. That's, that's the morbid hope of those that don't know God. But we have a hope of eternal life that something much better lies ahead. Something much better lies ahead. So all of these destination places, and they said that when the souls came up out of the grave, whatever, Jesus removed the idea of, you know, the grave and paradise, but it changed to heaven in the New Testament after his resurrection or whatever. They don't look forward to the bosom of Abraham now, whatever. They talk about heaven and sleeping in the Lord and being in the kingdom of God. There's a divine element to to death for the saints of God. Romans 14 and 8 says, If we live, we live for the Lord. That's a life lived that Christ lived in and through me. And it's for God because my body, my life is no longer mine. I'm dying to self daily. He says, but if we die, we die for the Lord. So you should be willing to die for Christ just as, as, as Jesus did. He died for God. He says that thy will be done. We need to die to death living for God the way God is. Sometimes that requires some awkward choices for physical man that we have to be born again, that we have to be spiritual people to die for the Lord. There's a lot of people that didn't evade persecution and martyrdom in the days back when they were dying and burning them at the stake, telling them to deny Jesus, deny God. This new God, see, because Paul was one of the ones that was fighting and persecuting the saints about this new God. He saw, they stoned Stephen. He was holding the coats of those that stoned Stephen. And Stephen, it says, as though an angel, he looked up and he commended his soul unto Jesus as they were stoning him to death. But he was preaching the gospel as he was stoned. That has to be us in the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. We are his purchased possession. 
That's why we're precious. We're that coin. We're that pearl. We're that treasure of great, great price that he purchased with his own life. He redeemed us. We're his. That's great gain in the Lord. That's great gain in dying in the Lord. Paul said in the book of Philippians 1.21, he says, For to me to live is Christ. That is because he is my source of joy, my reason to live. Without him, there's really no reason to live without living for Christ. That's why some people, that's why I say if you're in the bed, you're almost in, you know, in a state that you can't do anything. What are you living for? What, what is your reason for living? You remember I tell you you had a purpose and a reason for living? And I think God is completing, God is doing a work in you. Jesus is the author, the finisher of our faith. What work can you see in you? You notice they have signs put up when the construction of something going on and they say a work in progress. Well, we're not complete to that day of death. We're not complete to the day of death either to Jesus Christ come back for us that he's, not complete, that he's not finished with us. But if I can't move and don't have any movement or whatever, if I'm just laying in the bed or whatever, what am I doing or what is my reason for living? What is my purpose? What's the end game there? Are you understanding what I'm saying? That's why I said yesterday, if you're in that position, if you're in that place, the only practicality that I can see is being in that position is that you've grown greatly in the Lord and that you are a great prayer warrior. That That's what your time spent laying there in that bed or in that chair, can't move or can't do anything, is that you praying for the people of God for the church of God, for the world, and that you are prayer warrior. You can do that, but there are those that can do that that are immobile, that that can't do anything or go out or be a socialized or whatever. And that prayer grows you in the Lord, and that prayer is still growth in the Lord. It's You could be become a fervent warrior of God, and it also keeps your mind growing. Okay. He says, for my reason to live. He says, now, and to die is gain. He said, for I will be in eternity with him. So he says, I don't know which one is best for to stay here with y'all and preach and teach the gospel or to go be with Christ. Now, he, he, he wasn't talking about committing suicide, but as us all, all of the prophets, all of the preachers, all of the saints of God, sometime they're wishing that this thing just be over with. You just get up on side your bed, just wish this thing is over with, that Jesus would come today. How long? How long? For those that don't have that hope, that are looking forward to the world, they're kind of earth dwellers. They're chained to the world. Because all of their hope is in the world. It's not in the next life. It's not in Christ. Because if you fighting this battle, it's a struggle each and every day, and we 
entered into the rest, but he hadn't given us that rest yet. We're looking for the rest in God. That's what Paul was saying. To go be with Christ would be better for him. He would rather that. Anybody that's in this battle, like we see in what's coming upon the earth, what we're seeing what's coming toward us, what we're looking forward to, what I would feel better, is to be with Christ when we achieve this end. But then we know that there's a, he has given all of us talents, a certain number of talents for purposes. Yes. And that purpose can be seen or brought out as we walk in the Lord. Faith illuminates. Faith illuminates the children of God. Hebrews 11.13 says, All these died in faith that is guided and sustained by faith without receiving the tangible fulfillment of God's promises. Abraham didn't receive that promise, even though he looked for it. But he saw and rejoiced to see the day of Christ. In other words, that faith that enjoined him to a new birth. In other words, that when God imputed his righteousness unto him. Remember, it was imputed unto Abraham. And that's what I say. We look for the imputation of his righteousness. That puts us in a state of justification with God. But there's a lot more work and a lot more forming of our character that's done after that. There are very few that has that thief on the cross experience with them. God is not through with them. There's a character building process and Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher of that faith. So that's why Paul knew and everybody else that's children of God know that you're bulletproof in other words. Nothing can happen to you before your time. That's why Jesus said he was going to Jerusalem because he knew he had a job to do and a destiny to fulfill. And that we will complete the task that God has given us to do. We don't know what that the complete or the fullness of that task is. But we he will bring it to completion in us. It is God that working in us both to will and to do and to bring that work into we're going to be a complete in Christ Jesus. That gives us great faith. He says, only having seen that he has anticipated them and having welcomed them from a distance and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, that this is not my home. This is not the goal I'm reaching for. These aren't what, this is not, this is just material and all of this is going to be passing away. This is passing away. Yes. You're looking for that which is unseen. That's why he gave us those promises. The Living Bible says, These men of faith I have mentioned died without ever receiving all that God had promised them. But they saw it and all awaiting them on ahead and were glad. For they agreed that this earth was not their real home, but that they were just strangers visiting down here. You know, it's like people playing a video game. You play these games and everything or whatever, and you're looking forward to all this. It, you have to get into the mentality of that game. You have to get inside the game. Yeah. This guy wasted his whole life. He playing that video game, Farmville, and getting these crops in and doing all this for weeks and months and months. And then AT&T, the game go down. He called AT&T and says, 
you know, y'all need to refund me because I can't get my crops in and I can't get all these things in and you've prohibited me from reaching my goal. Well, that's the same it is for us struggling in this life. We're striving for fake things, things that's going to rust, things that's going to decay, things that's going to pass away. It's vanity and vexation of spirit. Because what happens when you complete the game? You win it, you through. You didn't finish the course of Mario rescuing the princess. They just not told me yesterday, my doctor and wife told me, well, that was the goal of Mario, was to rescue the princess. That's just how much I know about the game. But anyhow, with these games or whatever, you win the games. I used to play cash cab or something or whatever. After accumulating all of that, all of that time and energy you put in, what do you have? Nothing. Solomon says vanity and vexation of spirit. But the promises of God, aren't we looking for those things tangibly one day? One day to see Jesus Christ. One day to realize what eternal life is. One day to have to be in paradise, to see this heaven, to see things are as they will be. You know, because I, 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 I got out of that mentality about sons and daughters and children and grandchildren and families and things. No, but we all brothers and sisters and that we were playing a role and there's going to be some a kind of a reunion up there of how we made it through and the relationships have changed and the characters of what God had. This was a big thing put on by God to instilling us and making us a character without spot or blemish. We, because we know everybody that where we are won't be hating one another, that everybody in that actual, actual place love one another. In that actual place, you couldn't drive that person to kill one another because they would be under the character of turning the other cheek, that they wouldn't work treacherously against one another. All of these characteristics would be embodied in them because that's the goodness of God. That's what he's bringing those are the promises. That's what we're looking for. And he's not going to disappoint us. It says, blessings pronounced upon. The book of Revelations 14 and 13 says, Then I heard the distinct words of a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed, that is, happy and prosperous to be admired are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, so that they may rest and have relief from their labors, for their deeds do follow them. Now this is an injunction about the, the blessedness of those that we were talking about in the 57th verse, in 57th chapter, 1st through the 2nd verse, about the righteous being taken away, and they, they're sleeping, they're dying, they're not perishing in rest. This is what that voice from heaven, which is our Lord, said. Then I heard that voice from heaven saying, Blessed are ye are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. What? From that New Testament time on. Because they're resting in Christ. Not that it's not true for the Old Testament, because that was written for our, as an example of our admonition. But now we should we have to look at it as not 
going to Hades or Abraham's bosom or whatever, is that we're sleeping, we're resting in the Lord. We're not, not as some people say, looking down in heaven, he didn't take us to heaven, we're looking down. No, we're sleeping, we're resting in the grave, we're resting, waiting on the Lord, the Spirit going back to God. But that body says, David is dead and in his sepulcher to that day. We're there sleeping, we're resting in the Lord. And when Jesus come back, we shall all meet him in the air. In other words, we all should rise in a resurrection of immortality where the corruptible put on incorruptible. That we'll change the mortal puts on immortality. That that's the conversion factor. We have to be converted. So that's why I say no man had ascended up, but he who ascended down. And Jesus Christ was the only one who had ascended down because you remember the son was given. The Son had been here all the time. Jesus Christ was the one who created the whole world. He created it all. He was the Word made flesh. So he went back to where he was. That's why he said, don't be surprised you see me ascend back up there. He says, blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on, so that they may rest and have relief. The living says, I heard a voice in the heavens above above me saying, write this down. At last, the time has come for the Mars to enter into their full reward. Yes, says the Spirit, they are blessed indeed, for now they shall have rest from all their toils and trials, for their good deeds follow them to heaven. So you're resting. This is a point of sleep. This is the rest when I tell you that final rest, where there's a, another day that Joshua spoke of for the people of God, this rest to enter in. And that's why I say we have to toil and labor. Maybe our jobs may not be as toilful, feel, but we have to toil with family, with spouses, with sons, daughters, uncles, aunts, friends, neighbors, people. There's a guy that I don't know parking his car, hiding from somebody behind the house next to me. That's a problem. I, you know, what's that? What's that car doing there in the middle of the night or whatever? Am I coming to home? Doing the road down the road from coming to church or on the interstate, coming from visiting or whatever, and this car meet me head on, a head on collision and kill me in an accident, or dying on the highways and all these, all of these things to live. Will I? We make it through the pandemic, and what's this? It's the earth, the world is full of all these things, but one day it'll be no more. Worrying, no more going through all of these processes. That's why Paul said it would be much better to be with Christ. Because in this life, just living for Jesus may get you killed. It may bring you great bodily harm. You see the troubles and the fails of your family, of your children, of the people around you. That should not... That is a great anxiety, but that, that's what draws us to prayers and, and to Christ, to see one child doing well and the other child not doing so well, to see your people sick, to see your spouse sick, to see relatives sick, to see people dying, to hear the wars and things that's going on, those poor Palestinians are thinking about them or whatever, the things that's going on, rich, poor, or whatever, whatever position it can be in. The guy that used to play, I woke up this morning and the guy that used to play 
uh, on Friends. He died yesterday or whatever. Matthew Perry is his name or whatever. He used to play Chandler on Friends or whatever. But it makes no difference how much money you got, how much popularity you got, whether you live in poverty or not. But it says the righteous perish. The righteous die also. So there has to be, we have to find an understanding to this why, what's going on. The purpose is here and what's going on. These are evil times. And I told you, it was just like the times of Noah. Genesis 6.12 says, God looked on the earth and saw how debased and degenerate it was. For all of humanity had corrupted their way on the earth and lost their true direction. As Psalms says, there's no none good, not one. The whole earth is corrupt. And that's why I tell you, I'm looking at the corrupt political and religious leaders in this state, and I see no hope for this state. I see no hope for this nation. The type person, the people that we have in the legislature, in the House of Representatives, in the Senate, that are running for president, the age of our president, the things that we're going through, woe to this nation. That if you don't see what's shaping up, when people are talking about Will this war come? To, what's going to happen with this thing going on in the Middle East? We're at a boiling point. I think we're at a time that we hadn't ever been, and it's the time as Noah was. First Kings 19 and 10 says, And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant and thrown down their altars and slain thine prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, are left and they seek, and they seek me for my life to take it away. But we know he wasn't the only one serving the Lord. That's why I say I felt good on the way to church today when I seen other churches with large numbers of people there. And I can't judge and know their spiritual state but it does make me feel good that I'm not the only one to sense something is happening. We need to be seeking the Lord. It's not time for the play these things or whatever. Along the way, we may take a little break or whatever. But if we don't do as, as God says and are not fervent and effectual in this, even though this man, Elijah, prayed, during the time of drought, I was looking at the library when I printed the material for the church today, Bible study, the trees and the shrubbery that's dying. We just had a year where we didn't, hadn't had the proper amount of rain in seven or eight months. We're in a drought. But I say I can imagine how it was during the time of Elijah when for three and a half years, Elijah said, there'll be no rain. No dew. The dew in the fog caused a problem the other day there in New Orleans. But no dew and no fog. So all of the dying during the time of drought. But this man, Elijah, he was in a battle. And I told you, we're in a battle. But Elisha, I wonder what Elisha knew that he said he wanted a double portion of what Elijah had. He knew he had to have more. Do we know we have to have more 
and the people that have went before us that we must study the word because we will be in a much deeper battle. So Elijah prayed that God would take his life. He's one. He's a very righteous man, but he prayed that God would take his life. We know, as I said, some saints talking these things don't really mean it or whatever, but it's just how they feel at that time because he said he thought he was the only one, but it had God said he had 7,000 who hadn't bowed the knee to Baal, and if he wanted to die, all he had to do was stay where he was. He didn't have to go 100 miles in the other direction. Jezebel would have accommodated him with taking his life. She said, if you don't be, if you be here tomorrow this time, your life could be like those 450 prophets that you slew. So if he really wanted to die, all he said, had to do was be that. But then we see that after this, that he had did a job, but he had completed his job, the job for God, and he was no longer of use to God doing this job. And we know he was still in good, good shape and everything because he had ran 100 miles away from Jezebel. When he fought Ahab and the prophets on Mount Carmel, we know that he was in such strength that he ran ahead of Ahab's chariot when he told Ahab to hurry back unless the rain would overtake him. He ran ahead of the chariot, so that meant he outran a horse-driven carriage. So he was in good shape. But God came to him and told him to anoint Elisha when he come back. See, because Elisha would deal with Jezebel. It takes a certain type of man, it takes certain people to be able to deal with Jezebels of this world. We see Jezebel, that spirit here in the book of Revelation, he said that woman Jezebel that teach and seduces children, commit fornication, adultery, there are a lot of men that are good spouses, good husbands, and I'm knowing, I'm thinking now that there's a lot of them where the woman is stronger in the family than the man or whatever, but a lot of good men or whatever, they, they don't make good fathers. They don't really make good men as leaders because uh, they listen to their wives as Adam gave away paradise listening to his spouse. As some people, their wives are rule the roost or whatever. It says a man can't rule the house of God if he can't rule his own household. He's not. So not that these are evil. They just don't come up to that muster. Me and my son was talking about that yesterday or whatever. There's a lot of people out there that don't realize you need that man in that household. You need that hormone rich, that, that vibrant thing. He was after one of his nephews yesterday or whatever, and that's what he needed in his life for his uncle to tell him something. And he said, I'm not being chauvinistic. And, you know, he was talking to me, and he didn't want to appear chauvinistic to his mama or whatever. You know, a lot of times I get accused of chauvinism, but he has that, that tendency to him and that strength that a man has to be in charge of his home. That was the problem with Samson. That he wasn't. See, and that's the problem we have in church today. We have same sex marriage. We have, you have to have a man and a woman to raise a child, to raise a family. 
to make decisions because there are certain consequences to choices we make in life and we can't equivocate. And that's what I see in a political scene now. Men worshiping men, fearing other men. The Republican Party has come to be zilch. It's going to disband. It's going to cannibalize itself because they worship other men. They worship themselves and they try to portray themselves as Christ. We look at and find this in the book of Revelation about this lamb with a horn that's coming as a lamb. This is the Antichrist that's coming. If we would see it, that this is the Antichrist that's coming. Those that's come in place of Christ. Those ministers of Satan and this bestiality. And that's the evangelical world that caved in these last political seasons and think that Christianity is going to run the world and make work make the world better. And that's why they're going along with Israel murdering the Palestinians the way they do because they're thinking that they're doing God a favor. But see, they're, they're rudely mistaken in the way God handled matters. Psalms 12 and 1 says, Save and help and rescue, Lord, for godly people cease to be. For the faithful vanish from the sons of men. From among us there is no more. I used to, you know, look at that Republican Party 12 years ago. And they had some strong congressmen and they had some strong people within that party. But it's, it's, it's not the same party. And I'm talking about the party before Reagan got in there. I'm talking about way back. Isaiah 59 and 14 says, Justice is pushed back and righteous behavior stands for all. For truth has fallen in the city square and integrity cannot enter. Justice is for all. Righteous behavior stands for away. Truth has fallen in the city square. Integrity cannot enter. This is the city of God. This is God's vineyard, which he planted a good vineyard, has become corrupted. He asks, what shall I do with my vineyard? That was his question in the first four chapters of Isaiah. This vineyard that he planted and he tended and he, this garden that he planted and it become bad, revolted. Uh, Living Bible says, Our courts oppose the righteous man. Fairness is unknown. Truth falls dead in the street and justice is outlawed. The outgoing police chief was complaining and he was resigning because he said, fast as we lock them up, y'all let them back out on the street. We got corrupt judges and judges not understanding and handing down sentences where we got people with two and three murders up on them being released, being back on the street, bailing out, having committed I don't know how many horrendous crimes. It is our youth that's destroying and doing this to us. And we're saying, well, locking them up at Angola may be too extreme. It, it, they, they're not with the general population. They're just in a place where they can't escape and do, other, do harm. It was a 16-year-old that broke out and killed this man a few months before they instituted that policy. So we see that justice is far, far away. Uh, the godly person who is faithful and loyal to God has perished from the earth, and there is no upright persons, one with good character and moral integrity among men. 
They all lie in wait to shed blood. Each hunts the other with a net. That's the time we're in now. But that was quoted from the book of Micah. So we see the dualism of prophecy. We see what Isaiah is talking about here. The book of Ephesians, let's bring it forward to the Apostle Paul. He speaks of the same time. Fifth verse, fifth chapter and 18th verse of Ephesians. It says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Living version says, so be careful how you act. These are difficult days. Don't be fools, be wise. Make the most of every opportunity you have for doing good. In other words, we shouldn't grow weary of well-doing even though the righteous man perish. And I was telling someone the other day about this guy. He's an FBI agent and he was doing things. But this evil guy was doing sinister things to people or whatever. And he attempted to kill this evil guy instead of arresting him and taking him hostage, you know, and putting him in prison or whatever, the way he should have. Let the courts determine his way of dying or whatever, to imprison him and take his life for capital punishment for the lives he took. But this man crossed the line and attempted to kill him. So we have police officers that's murdering youth in the streets. It's hard to get arrested down because you don't know whether the police coming to execute you there or not. There's a many people. One woman, she, I don't know what they did with her, but this police officer that says she was drawing her taser and shot, drew the gun and shot. But how many times we see where officers execute, executing people for charges and things that really didn't deserve for them to execute them and it was, really wasn't their place of authority to take that life, even though that person was wrong. And that's why Paul said Shall we do evil that good come from it? No. We can't do evil. We can't preach a a wrong gospel. We can't work through deception as the false prophets. We can't preach doctrine and thing to get people in. And we're preaching that that's false, that that has a it contains leaven, and we can't have leaven in any of the things we do. We can't do evil that good would come out of it. The Ends doesn't justify the means. Uh, It says, Making the very most of your time on earth, recognizing and taking advantage of each opportunity, and using it with wisdom and diligence. And we know only wisdom and diligence come from God. These are the place wisdom and diligence come from. He says, Because the days are filled with evil. People are just evil. We're living in an evil time. And God is lifting. If you look at the book of Zechariah, you see God lifting common grace. Common grace is being lifted. Now, common grace is not to salvation. And so as common grace is lifted, these two bands he called beauty and bands, but I don't want to go into that. I hadn't studied that in a while. But it's being lifted, and we're in an evil and a wicked time. Paul told Timothy, perilous times will come. These are those times. We're in the midst of them. 2 Timothy 13, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 2 says, But understand this, that in the last days, dangerous times of great stress and trouble will come, difficult days that will be hard to bear. 
For people will be lovers of self, that is, narcissistic and self-focused, lovers of money, impelled by greed, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. Uh, the Living Bible says, you may as well know this too, Timothy, that in the last days it's going to be very difficult to be a Christian. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be proud and boastful, sneering at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful to them, and thoroughly bad. They will be hard-headed and never give in to others. They will be constant liars and troublemakers and will think nothing of immorality. They will be rough and cruel and sneer at those who try to be good. They will betray their friends. They will be hot-headed, puffed up with pride, and prefer good times to worshiping God. As I said, there were a lot of people at these different churches, but also, like I said, Club Rags, the, the nightclub, well, it's a day club today, but the club had many more cars than, it, than the churches did. So we are a world that loves pleasure. Our Saturday mornings and Sundays is me time. They, they, a preacher has to preach a 10 or 15 minute sermonette. In other words, they can't have an hour, hour and a half sermon where he develop a sermon or anything or any teaching because they want to give God his 15 minutes and then the rest of the day belongs to them. They say, I didn't gave God his time, the day belongs, the rest of the day belongs to him. Is not that not the mentality it is? It says they don't will they will go to church, yes, but they won't really believe anything that they hear. Don't be taken in by people like that. Isn't that the same thing he told Ezekiel that they will love to come and hear you? Because, man, it's a Baptist church and he really can get out. He really can moan. He really can bring that thing home. When the only time those people wake up in the church is when the preacher does go bringing it home and making it sound good and everything. And they don't even know what the preacher talk about. They've been asleep the whole service. His loud talking and roaring is what woke them up. And they, how you amen? What are you amen? What was the sermon about? The biggest percentage of the people don't know what the sermon was about. Uh, the living says they are kind. They are the kind who craftily sneak into other people's homes and make friendships with silly, sin-burdened women and teach them their new doctrines. Women of that kind are forever following new teachers, but they never understand the truth. And these teachers fight truth just as Janice and John Brace fought against Moses. They have dirty minds, warped and twisted, and have turned against the Christian faith. But they won't get away with all this forever. Someday their deceit will be well known to everyone, as was the sin of Janus and Jambres. Now here you hear something from the Old Testament that you didn't learn in the Old Testament. That those musicians, those, I said musicians, I didn't mean musicians. But these false wizards, let's call them wizards or sorcerers, they withstood Moses. And if you notice, uh, let's just say, Charles has the Ten Commandments. Each trick, uh, each miracle that Moses did, 
they did this, they duplicated the same miracle. When this serpent turned, rod turned to a serpent, up into producing life, when God brought the lice upon the people and brought death, some of these other things, I think around the fifth miracle or sixth miracles, they couldn't no longer duplicate it. And that's when they knew they was up against the powers of God because the t- the miracles that God brought to work were against the gods. All of these gods was the gods that they worship and that they served, and it was showing that God had authority over those gods. It's like the serpent, the pole. If you hold a cobra, a snake behind the head in a certain way, position that it paralyzes it, and it holds and it stays straight or whatever. That's why when they threw their rods down and it turned the serpent, Moses threw his down. Well, that wakes that serpent to consciousness or whatever. But Moses' serpent ate their serpents or whatever. With the Nile, they worship the Nile and they worship frogs. They worship all of these things that came from those. But it, that's why I say those are some of the deeper things that you can research and go back. Like I say, with religion, you can find a whole lot in the Bible that God wants to extend your mind that television could never do for you. So I say television would be obsolete in the kingdom of heaven because it would be so exciting. Who wants to sit down and watch TV? Just think, when we were young, who had really had time for television? Tell me this, when you were working, how many shows did you watch or whatever? My wife didn't even know what's going on. A lot of the shows that she started watching, she don't realize the reason she started watching it, that she was able to stop working two jobs or whatever when she was working them or whatever, and that I was not working as much then. I think I had retired out then. But that she wasn't going to work from 5 o'clock in the morning or something like that to late at night or whatever, and that now she could watch television, but she didn't know anything about television and people on television. Because if you have a life... The people that are on social media, on Twitter, or they call it X now or something, on Facebook, the people that are actually working or doing things don't have time for social media. But if you have time to follow somebody else's life, you don't have a life of your own. If you're sitting there playing games and things on those, those things all day, you don't have a life. So these are people without lives getting involved in other people's lives these become the gossips and everything else and that are given to vanity and vexation of spirit. That's why it says they creep in the houses laden silly women with doctrines and things because you know most religions are started by women but the reason what happens is they have an intuition or they have a deep spiritual connection if they're working in the home or working wherever in God God's in communication with them because most a lot of time men close God out. But if you open your mind with hope and dedication and things, and you become what you should be, God shapes us in His image and likeness. That's why when you see a man's sons and children looking at that man, because that woman loved at him and those children are made in His image and His likeness because her mind was stayed on her husband. I read a book by a guy from West Monroe that wrote about that subject or whatever. 
So if our mind is stayed on our husband, if our mind is stayed up on the one that we'll marry and looking forward to being with one day, won't we be in his image and likeness? Isn't that what God's doing? Making us in his image and likeness? Heavenly Father, we come before you this day, Lord God, asking.